You're listening to Halford and Bruff. He's going to work down, look for the wraparound, comes out to Caprizov, and he scores. The Canucks are reeling in Minnesota. You need a goddamn occasional save. It's actually stupid stick penalties. You know, you can't do it. And we got to learn. No one's fighting Rick Tockett. No one wants to fight Rick Tockett. I really don't want to dwell on this a whole lot. Playing one of the best teams in the league tomorrow is a huge test for us. It's a complete crap. Good morning. Welcome to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, still filling in for Mike Halford. He's on the shelf. He'll be back next week. Uh, Jason Bruff is here. Good morning, Bruff. Good morning. Uh, Laddie, a dog. What's going on, fellas, in the control room? Hello, Good morning. Hello. It is uh, Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650, brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal, North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. 1170 Powell Street. Also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech! 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I was so excited to do that. I was thinking about it all last night. I was like, I'm going to nail it today uh, when Jason does the Kintech read. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. Dunbar Dunbar, landed. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online uh, at DunbarLumber.com. We got a big, big show today on a Tuesday. The Canucks played yesterday. You might have noticed. Rather eventful game uh, that we got a lot of time to get into today. They play today as well, so we'll look forward to that at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will join the program. We'll go around the NHL with him. At 7, we'll look ahead to tonight's opponent, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, with Alex Rajaniemi. He does the Avs post game on 92.5 Altitude Sports in Colorado. Uh, And then from our radio broadcast, returning to the broadcast Tonight, after uh, bad luck, Dan Riccio did the last couple of games, couple of losses for the Canucks. Brendan Batchelor will join the show at 8. And, of course, at 8.30, we'll, we will do what we learn. So never too early to get your submissions in. Hit us up, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line, hashtag WWL. 8 o'clock batch, 7, Alex Rajaniemi from Colorado, 6.30. Wish, but before we do any of that, let's start with what happened. <laughs> Did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. I don't think this segment has ever been more appropriately titled because we're all wondering, what did we just watch? What happened as the Canucks lose 10-7 in a morning-slash-afternoon affair in Minnesota? And Uh, I think I can just, like... I'll throw to you. You run through in detail what happened, and I'll go grab a coffee and come back in 20 minutes because it's going to take that long. I I, I need you here with me. Uh, Alfred normally checks out while I kind of run through all my game notes from uh, the night before or the Mm -hmm. day before. So 
don't check out because you need to like proofread my work uh, like okay. on the spot because that was quite an afternoon affair in St. Paul yesterday. It's not often you see a team score on its first two shots mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or that same team blow a three goal lead or three hat tricks in the same game or 17 total 17 goals, goals yeah. or one team reach double digits in goals or one team get four five on three power play advantages, but those all happened Monday as the Canucks suffered a 10-7 loss at Minnesota, their second regulation loss in a row, making it possible, if not likely, that the Canucks will lose three straight games for the first time all season because they play tonight in Colorado against a pretty good Avs team. So how do you unpack a game like yesterday? Well, from a Canucks perspective, it probably starts with the question, how the hell did that happen? Many will point to the officiating, mm-hmm. the refereeing, which wasn't great from the start. In fact, the Canucks' first goal, don't forget, could very well have been blown dead before it happened. After Tyler Myers set a pick for Ian Cole at the blue line, Cole's goal came at 2.51 of the first period. So even early on, it was kind of like, ooh, this could be an interesting one. The refs seemed to realize... They missed one there because a couple of minutes later, after Connor Garland got called for high sticking, the officials decided to give Elias Lindholm a roughing penalty for barely nudging Joel Erickson along the boards in front of the player's bench. Uh, to the Canucks' credit, they killed that five on three and later made it two nothing on their second shot <laughs> on a goal by JT Miller. More from him later. But to their discredit, if you're going to credit them for killing right. off that five on three and making it two nothing, uh, they allowed a late goal after Matt Boldy got around Heronic and fed a cross ice pass that Erickson Eck directed past Casey DeSmith with his skate after gaining position on Quinn Hughes, who actually, we can talk about this later, had one of his rare. Down game. You jinxed it yesterday. I you came it. in. Quinn, look at Quinn Hughes. He never has an off game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't He's, even I imagine it. Reliable, reliable elite. elite. And I just want to pause and note: we're three goals into this. Yeah, yeah. we're not even a fifth of the way through mm-hmm. the goal scoring and in the, this and game the, so far. Okay, so the first period ended two-one for Vancouver. It was a bit of a weird twenty minutes, but not exactly like yeah. crazy. I've no. seen games like that. On to the second where it looked like the Canucks were going to run away with it. First goal came by Elias Pettersson, then another by GT Miller on the power play. So it was 4-1 Canucks. We're all feeling good. It's over. Put this one away. I was like, I, can I go for my nap now? I mean, it's like just after lunch. Uh, I'm like, okay, this is probably going to whatever. Well, and I will say at that point, because we spent all of yesterday talking about what's going on with the top six, do they need to be more reliable? And Feeling it was the top six driving it. it. It's like, okay, I know what we're going to talk about on the show. Hey, bounce back game for the well, top ju- six. Just wait. The Wild did get one back, but then JT Miller completed the hat trick mm-hmm. on a terrific power move to the net. That made it 5-2 Canucks. There's a second three-goal lead of the game. No way they're going to blow this. That was the high point for the Canucks. Here's how it all came crashing down. Zadorov and Bluger took penalties late in the second, and the Wild scored on the five-on-three. Then, Petey took a late hooking penalty to negate a scoring chance. 
that the refs actually thought went in, which was weird because it didn't come close to going in. It hit the outside of the post. I think what happened here is they – because the Minnesota Wild players were like, it went in, it went in. And I think what happened is the refs decided to call it a goal, knowing that if they call it a goal – they can go upstairs and look at it and get the right call. Okay. Whereas if you don't call it a goal, I don't know if you can do that. Maybe you can. I don't know. But that was what I thought in the Sh- moment. But it was weird. Let's fair, put it that way. Fair enough. Uh, it meant the uh, – so the, the – anyway, they said it wasn't a goal, so it's yeah. still 5-3. Um, to three. But it meant the Wild would start the third with a 5-on-3 mm-hmm. with the Canucks leading 5-3. to 5-3 three. Three was a very popular – Combination of numbers yesterday. The Wild did score on that five on three to start the third. That made it 5-4. And then I think this was the key penalty. And not laying bling. Then JT Miller put the puck over the glass to once again put the Canucks down. Two man. Guess what? The Wild scored to tie the game. After a mad scramble in front of the Canucks net, that might have been whistled down by a different referee, but wasn't by the ones yesterday um maybe it could have been whistled down because they thought Casey DeSmith had covered it at one point or maybe because it was lying under Ian Cole because Ian Cole was desperately trying Mm -hmm. to shovel the puck underneath him I didn't personally have a problem with them not whistling it down but I can see the people that did um so where are we here oh right is it five five I think it's five five now okay yeah Of course, the Canucks still had one penalty to kill, and perhaps Rick Tockett should have called a timeout at that point. But he didn't. And guess what? Eric Sinek completed his hat trick. That made it 6-5 for Minnesota as the hats rained down on the ice in St. Paul. So at the very least, the hat delay gave the Canucks a chance (laughs) to pull themselves together. It was only 6-5. They're down a goal. They did not pull themselves together. And the Wild scored a few minutes later when Quinn Hughes, again, having a bit of a rough game, got squeezed out on the forecheck, didn't move the puck fast enough, and the puck ended up getting flung towards the net where it went in off of Marco Rossi's skate. Sadly, the onslaught was not so over. So we're at 7-5. We're at 7-5. Okay. Yeah. Kaprizov scored his second to make it 8-5 at 5-12 of the third. So... The Canucks, in a span of less than six minutes, gave up six goals while turning a three-goal lead into a three-goal deficit. I'm looking at Laddie and Adog in the booth, and they seem bored by all this. The Canucks... Traumatized is a better word. They're like, we've seen this a million times before. What is there? This isn't notable. The Canucks, to their slight credit... Although Rick Tockett didn't want to hear about it after the game, did make it eight to seven, including a goal by uh, Brock Besser. Zadorov mm-hmm. got the other one on a nice shot, but a couple of empty netters gave the Wild their ninth and tenth goals of the night. Gave Kaprizov a hat trick, so we had J.T. Miller with a hat trick, Joel Eriksson with a hat trick, and uh, Kaprizov with a hat trick, and it was finally all over. Uh, the key stats of the game where the Wild ended up going four for six on the power play with three of those goals coming at five on three. Casey DeSmith ended up stopping just 17 of the 25 shots he faced, dropping his save percentage to 896 on the season, which all of a sudden doesn't look so good. Yikes. The Canucks no longer 
had the third best goal differential in the NFL, or sorry, not NFL, the first third best goals against average right. in the NHL. They fell all the way to seventh, and the PK fell all the way to 22nd in the NHL. And Rick Tockett, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, was pissed. We are just going because I need to catch my breath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a pretty short we got a scrum reset here. with Rick Tockett after the game. He was angry and not at the refs. Here is Rick Tockett talking about his team's performance yesterday. Well, uh, you got to learn how to play under pressure. You know, uh, we gave him four, was it five, four or five on threes. Give him a, go- uh, a goal at the end of the first, and then we take a penalty after the second. Um, so these are lessons that we have to learn how to play under pressure. Stick penalties. Our five-on play play was good. We had uh, a lot of a lot of chances. I thought we played five on five. Obviously, the other parts of our game wasn't good. Did you talk to them specifically about discipline after the game? That and playing under pressure. And JT, you, men- you mentioned as well the five-on-five play. Was there anything else that you take away? He also talked about being excited to turn around and play again right away. Yeah, I mean, of course. We got 20-something games. You're, you're, anytime you play this game, you want to be excited to play. You know, We'll be ready to play tomorrow and go from there. You mentioned the penalty is the second straight game. That penalty trouble was kind of there. Where's the level of concern? Or it's probably three concerned? games, four games. Yeah. Okay. It's getting... Uh, it's actually stupid stick penalties. You know, you can't do it, and we got to learn. And when you play under pressure, you cannot do those things. Solace in the first 40 minutes of the game, though, and then kind of coming back toward the end. Well, of the I like—I mean, take away the five on four or whatever, five on threes. Take away the stupid stick penalties, the giving up the goal, the, the end of the first, the breakaway, and stuff like that. The five on five play was good. I mean, we had a lot of possession time. We had a lot of chances. What can you take from the way that you guys closed out the game and tried to battle back there? I mean, it's good, but it's not good enough. Just the whole overall. I look at the whole overall game. So a little trivia. Back in right. 1983, Ooh. Um, the Canucks, I believe this is their highest scoring game ever, beat the Minnesota North Stars 10-9. to So not their highest scoring game of all time, but they've had a couple wild ones yep. with Minnesota. Um Jamie, before we get to a few discussion points and head into the Dunbar Lumber text line for some texts, mm-hmm. just your overall thoughts from the game. So I thought Tockett's commentary, as it so often is, very on point. Now, he didn't say this in particular, but you look at you hear some of the things that he listed that you can tell really, really annoyed him. Even going back before what we would look at as kind of the start of the meltdown all the way to giving up a goal late in the first period when you're up 2 nothing on the road, you have a chance to take a 2 nothing deficit or 2 nothing lead into the first intermission. And I look at it, the thing that's probably, that if, uh, if I had to guess is annoying talk of the most, look at where some of the key plays are coming from, the personnel making those key bad plays, right? That goal at the end of the first period, it's Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick getting beat off the rush. Another goal in the second period, Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick getting beat off the rush. Stupid stick penalty at the end of the second period, Elias Pettersson put, putting his stick in the midsection in the hands of a guy driving to the net. Yeah, you're already on the penalty, but you're still probably going to get called for that. And then early in the second period, it's JT Miller putting the puck over the glass when you're already down a man. That's your two best forwards and your two, be- two best defensemen repeatedly making mm-hmm. bad 
play. So you can look at all of the other, ah, well, should the refs have blown the whistle here? You know, was that was that one on Lindholm really a penalty? I mean, that didn't come back to bite them anyways. But those that's your leadership group. Those are the guys who are supposed to be not just not contributing to the meltdown. They're supposed to be stopping it. They're supposed to be making plays that get everybody to reset, that get everyone to find their game. And instead, they're the ones causing it to snowball. Like that, to me, more than anything else, has to be the biggest concern coming out of this game is that your best players were contributing to the meltdown rather than stopping it. So uh, a lot of people want to vent about the refereeing, but Rick Tuckett has not. And nope. some people have a theory that he just doesn't want to get fined by the NHL. I completely disagree with that theory. He doesn't want to turn his team into a bunch of complainers. I will say the only thing I enjoyed when the Canucks were bad, and it was for a few years, is that nobody really whined about the officiating too much because mm. it so often got to the point where we didn't really care if the Canucks won or lost. Like, think how many meaningless games that they played. And even at times we wanted them to lose for draft position. Some of us did, at least. I have to admit that I get, uh, and God, I kind of hate this word because it's overused, triggered by fans who overly focus on the officiating while many of them steadfast, steadfastly maintain this, biz, this, it's like this bizarre victim mentality mm-hmm. when it comes to the refereeing and the Vancouver Canucks. And I think it goes way back for a lot of them, like. Way back, I mean, I think, uh, there's a statue of a guy waving a white towel to the to the referees outside the arena. Um, you know, you got Brian Burke's famous speech about the Sedines, and then there are some pretty famous media guys that did kind of dabble in conspiracy theories against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, it's okay to disagree with a call here and there. For example, I thought the call on Elias Lindholm was a clear and obvious makeup call that was ridiculous. Yep. Um, and you can even think the refs had a bad game that unfairly punished the Canucks, but just, just end it there. Just end it there. Like, you know, if Quinn Hughes has a bad game, you're just like, Oh, you had a bad game. And it's okay to say that you had a bad game yesterday. You can say that the refs had a, had a bad game, but the, um, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in a law term cause I know you're, Ooh, you're, you're a former lawyer. There's no need to con- concoct uh what do they call in the law mens rea, mens rea. yeah mens rea. like they might have the refs might have done the actress reyes but there was no mens rea yesterday. like, like yeah. so mens rea means like they have like the, a guilty the mind, state of right? mind when the, you're doing like, whatever like the bad act we is. are trying yeah. to yeah. screw the i saw way too much of that on social well, media yesterday and i've seen it in the dunbar lumber text line like the refs were getting back at the Canucks because Tyler Myers said something after the Winnipeg game or because the Minnesota Wild are an American team and the league wants them to make the playoffs. Over who? All the other American teams yeah. in the race for the final wild card spot? Like, they're desperate for Minnesota to get into the, the playoffs? Minnesota? The Tyler Myers part is especially funny because, again, as we said, it's like he was the guy setting the pick on the Ian Cole goal. So it's like if they're out to get Tyler Myers yeah, they in got this him. game, they should have got him. They had a really weird way of showing it. It's yeah. like, we're going to let a blatant penalty go yeah, on he, you, Tyler Myers. He, he's like, I learned this one from uh, my half-brother, Quentin. He showed me how to set a pick. Maybe it's just because I saw JFK for the first time the other day, but I think the Canucks should take the refs to court. Yeah, And exactly. they should make some elaborate system and set up and say yeah. exactly how badly they screwed them yesterday. Point Get by Kevin point. Costner on the phone. Maybe he'll buy it. Exactly. Listen, I'm not trying to tell the fans what to care about. I would just rather talk about what the Canucks are going to learn from this meltdown down mm-hmm. because they had a mini meltdown Saturday against Winnipeg too. Uh, and Rick Tockett knows full well that the games are only going to get more intense 
and pressure-filled from this point on as teams like the Wild reach desperation mode. We saw a desperate team yesterday in Minnesota. While at the same time, every game the Canucks play against a cup contender is going to get hyped up, like tonight's Mm -hmm. against Colorado. Um, What Talkett, I think, is trying to teach his team is how to play under pressure because things go badly in games. Calls go against you. Bad bounces happen. There are momentum swings. On the road, the crowd can become a factor. That was a great crowd in Minnesota yesterday. Like They were obviously very into it. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it when that happens? Are you going to freak out? Are you going to cry about it? Or are you going to collect your thoughts, trust your system, and go back to the structure, the staples, and the fundamentals that helped turn this team around? And I think your point about the leadership group is a really good one. It's why the jury on this leadership group is still out Mm -hmm. until we see how they handle themselves in the playoffs. It's also why the Canucks might still love to pry a guy like Chris Tanev out of Calgary. Yeah. It's why you love the progress that Noah Juleson has made this season, but you're not sure if you can trust him when the moments get bigger. This was all inevitable that the Canucks were going to face a stretch of games like this. And when you looked at their schedule coming out of the All-Star break, you went, hmm, I wonder if it'll be then. I even said, I kind of welcome it, and I stand by those words. I want to see how they do with this. They're 4-3-1 since the All-Star break, so it's been far from a complete disaster. The Canucks are not disintegrating before our very eyes, but given the schedule and a couple of key guys being out of the lineup, Dakota Joshua is out for a little while, I wonder if Connor Garland's going to be able to play today because he didn't look quite himself even when he came back to the game. Um, It might... It might get worse before it gets better for the Canucks. And it's a tough one. This is a tough turnaround to have to try to move on from that, go in, play Colorado in Colorado, one of the best teams in the league, one of the most dangerous offensive teams in the league. But as much as that's a really tough test, that's also an opportunity for them to write, to get right back at it and show that they have learned these lessons, right? That they have that they have the capability to, okay, we're not going to dwell on a couple of tough losses. We're not going to dwell on that meltdown. We're going to move on, and we're going to play our game. We're going to get back to what we do well against a really good team. And, you know, I wonder how many fans out there, and I'm not there yet, but how many fans are out there watching that game and thinking, oh, boy, here come the old Canucks, right? Because that was really the first time, I think even going back to last season, under Tockett, That they've had a kind of old Canucks-esque meltdown. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Where it just becomes a gong show. You're giving up goals uh, time after time after time. We haven't seen that under Tockett. It's one thing for that to happen in one game. That can be a one-off. That's fine. Can you stop it from spiraling into three, four, five games where all of a sudden you look up and you're, you know, you're two and 11 in your last 13 games Mm -hmm. or something like that? They've got an opportunity to show that. As you said, the jury may be still out on this leadership group and their ability to do that. But th- you can only prove it once you're on exactly. the precipice once of you've this been situation. Challenged by it. Yeah, so yeah, now exactly. they, have the, they have the challenge. They have the opportunity to prove that it is different, that they can rise to these situations. Uh, okay, we're going to take a little break. 
Uh, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us next, so we'll talk about that game with Wish, plus take uh, a little look around the rest of the NHL. Um, we'll have a bit of a Colorado Avalanche preview at the start of the second hour at 7 o'clock, and then we'll be able to dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 for your comments, um, questions, um, rants, whatever you want to text in to 650-650. You're listening to the Halford & Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford uh, for the week. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid, 1170 Powell Street, uh, and we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing and Heating Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call, where we are joined from ESPN by Greg Wyshynski. Wish, what's going on, man? Thanks for doing this. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I'm doing good. Did the stadium series over the weekend in Jersey. And uh, and that was nostalgically uh, fun for uh, lifelong Devils fan. Yes. Uh, to be back uh, you know, at the site of three Stanley Cup parking lot parades. Uh, as you may remember. All right. Yeah. Just right, just right there, right around Jimmy Hoffa's body. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, if I had one complaint, it was that, you know, and this is obviously like a very selfish complaint that they didn't, they didn't really lean too much into, into the devilness of it all. Like Sunday was very much about the Islanders and Rangers and the rivalry. And here's, you know, Adam Graves and Dennis Potvin to wave to the crowd and, like Saturday was very much just more about like, hey, do you remember the Sopranos? Do you like bagels? Like it was more, <laughs> yeah, yeah. more about yeah. like Jersey, New Jersey. Than it was actually yeah. like the Devils, and and that's a really weird thing because you know Brendan Byrne Arena where the Devils played until they moved to Newark, it's still there. Like they built a giant fake Mall of America, but the arena is actually just still there. It just it lingers. It's like a a ghostly visage of of Devils years of pa- of past. But I mean. You know, the fact that the arena's there, the fact that they won, you know, three cups and they did their parades there, the fact that this was the first time Devils fans had a chance to tailgate at a game mm-hmm. since they moved because you can't do it in the parking garages in Newark. I don't know. I felt like there was a lot you could have done with, like, the Devils of it all, but I understand that, like, you know, it's not exactly a fran- it's not exactly an original six franchise, something uh, like that, as far right. as, like, the appeal of it all. But Canucks fans understand, right? Yeah. I, well, I do want to get. I want to do want to chat with you a little bit about yesterday's uh, wild game in Minnesota. But since we're on this topic, I, I did have a few questions. Um, what was the fan split for both those games? Would you say if you had to estimate it? I would say for the one on Friday night, it was either seventy five twenty five or seventy thirty Devils fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Flyers fans didn't necessarily travel and mass up the turnpike <laughs> to come to that game, and it was always going to be like a a celebration of, uh, of devil's hockey a little bit for the fans. I mean, the vibe around the community had been 
that way for a really long time as soon as they announced the game of, of it being, you know, Jersey's game and Devils fans were really excited for it. So <clears throat> that, that was not a huge surprise that they had the majority of fans. I'd say for Sunday's game, it was probably in the neighborhood of 65, 35 Rangers fans. There was a lot of Islanders fans there, more than, more than I expected. Because uh, for <laughs> quick geography lesson, North Jersey, where this stadium is, Rangers country. Okay. Uh, even more so than Devils country. And so I thought there was going to be a lot more Rangers fans than Islanders fans. But there was a good, good number of Islanders fans there. I'd say probably like 65-35. Um, second of all, um, how bad a loss was that for the Islanders? Well, all right. So from a logistics standpoint, they get a point, which is what they really need right now, which is to not lose games in regulation. So you can maybe hang your head on that. But it does. there's three things that really – sting you from that loss the first obviously is you blow a lead and that's terrible the second thing is you blow a lead through the ineptitude of your penalty kill and their penalty kill no joke might be one of the worst we've we've seen in maybe like decades like their penalty kill right now is at 70 percent like when is the last time you saw a penalty kill in the 60s uh we, well uh, I can't remember. last year in vancouver yeah yeah, yeah, we were. I think, I think we dipped into. Did we dip into oh, the '60s for a bit? Not, it didn't we, end there, but for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was yeah, that bad. It's, 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 it's so Horvat. Like, so it's Horvat. It's Bo Horvat. That's that's obviously it. So th- that's that's really what kills you is that you know the Achilles heel of this team was just like stomped on by the Rangers, and then obviously the other thing is that it's the Rangers, and you know you you blow lead to your arch rival, and they win it the way they win it. It it was that's that's not. It's not unrecoverable, but it, it certainly is a staggering body blow to a team that's trying to find momentum at this point. So speaking of uh, tough losses and leaky penalty kills as well, the Canucks give up 10 goals in Minnesota, blow a three-goal lead, lose 10-7. And for a team that you know has looked like a Stanley Cup contender for a lot, lot of stretches of this season, is acting like one, going out and making uh, deadline acquisitions, do you just kind of burn the tape on this one, or is this more worrisome than that wish? No, you burn the tape. I, I think that game is much more meaningful to Minnesota than it is to Vancouver. I think Vancouver's got a lot of proof of concept now that they're not the team that's going to be giving up 10 goals on the reg. But the Minnesota part of it's really interesting in the sense of since the All-Star break, they've been, they've been playing really well. Like it, it seems like for the teams that made coaching changes, it takes a good month before you know they can kind of figure things out and, and they start you know turning the tide a little bit, which is... Another reason why the Islanders, I think, are in trouble is that they might have made that coaching change too late. Um, but, you know, the Wild are now, like, positioned to be in the wild card race again. I think they're two points out at last glance. And they have something that, in, in my years of watching the NHL, you just need one of these, which is an extraordinarily hot line. You know, Erickson Ek, Boldy, Kaprizov, that duo is clicking at something absurd, like 63% expected goals percentage right now at five on five, like, they're, they're one of those lines that has, is so torrid that it, it could be good enough to get them into the playoffs just based on how well that line is playing, and they were all over it yesterday. Uh, one thing that's uh, been a big discussion point here is the focus on the referees, and there's been a, a kind of an outcry for, hey, Rick Tockett, why aren't you coming out and really you know, letting the refs have it? Eat the fine, stick up for your, te- or your team, and, and show the players you have their back, but is that ultimately just counterproductive if you're trying to build the, you know, we've heard so, the Canucks talk so much about accountability and culture and all that. Doesn't adopting that victim, victim mentality kind of work against all of those things? 
Well, you're, you're going to have to educate me a little bit because I feel like, you know, a national reporter covering a local political race. <laughs> are, are the problems with the, with the referees, do they go beyond yesterday? Like, uh, there was some, like, some complaints on Saturday against the Jets, but really it's, it's two games we're talking about more or less here. Yeah, I mean, that's just it. I mean, like, I, I think if this is a, a bit more systemic, if there are other moments in the season when you really feel like they have it in for you or whatever, then maybe you say something. But, you know, it's. I think any coach will tell you that it's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't want to necessarily, you know, waste that opportunity to blast the refs and, and, uh, and maybe, you know, draw attention to yourself or draw attention to the injustices that you're seeing uh, unless you really need to. So, I don't think Tox going to bite his tongue necessarily on a lot of this stuff if, if he feels like there's a reason to say something. Um, but, you know, you, you got to pick your spots. Um, Wish, are the Leafs successfully rallying around the Morgan Riley suspension? <laughs> because this is that, I mean, like, as if it wasn't bad enough for Canucks fans. Uh, now we're hearing all the all the quotes out of Toronto since they've won a bunch of games in a row since Riley was suspended that, that you know, his act against Ridley Grieg is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to just give them the shot in the arm that they needed. They're, they're rallying. Well, the first, first one they got after Riley went out was, was a bit of Ewing, Ewing effect of, like, having him and Tavares and, I think, Marner missing for the same game. So that's one of those where, they just like batten down the hatches and won a game they probably weren't supposed to. But no, you know they they can they can mythologize this thing all they want. But this, you know it's really easy to overcome the adversity of a Morgan Riley suspension when you have the the, the greatest goal scoring center since Mario Lemieux on your roster, and and he decides he's just going to start stacking hat tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a that's a pretty clear path to uh, to being able to maintain some level of momentum during this uh, time of tragedy, tragedy and adversity. I also, just, I, I also remember looking at the schedule after the Ottawa game and going, okay, St. Louis, Philly, Anaheim at home, that's hardly challenging. And then St. Louis again, that might be tough, but yeah. they won that one. And then the fifth game, I guess, of the suspension is in Arizona. And I don't know if anyone is paying attention to the actual hockey team, Arizona, but the wheels are off the Coyotes. So they could easily yeah, win all five they're... of those games. They're basically the Sun Devils right now, like how, with how poor they're playing on, on the campus of ASU. But right. No, I mean, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's going to be some of that, hey, you know, we, we were wronged and let's go get them, boys, kind of thing with this Riley thing. But, like, you got Austin Matthews scoring a billion goals. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a pretty, pretty, <clears throat> pretty easy equation uh, to figure out exactly how this has happened for the Leafs. And, like you said, they're, it's not exactly like they're playing, you know, the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights five times in a row uh, in this stretch either. I, I just the, the the depressing thing for me uh, on this whole thing with the Leafs is that like I figured them winning would quiet down the whining about the the Riley situation, <laughs> but it really hasn't. It hasn't at all. I mean, I think you know when the sun explodes, it's going to be cockroaches, Twinkies, and Steve Dangle complaining about the injustice <laughs> of the National Hockey League. So I mean, it's just like enough already with this. I, I can't wait for Bettman's ruling to come out. I, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I hope he gives him six. Uh, but I don't that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, so we're just going to have to settle for Gary's eloquent prose as to why the appeal of a suspension that was generous to begin with, uh, did not, did not, uh, work. Hey, Wish, you're probably going to admonish me for not having read the latest, uh, awards watch on ESPN.com, but 
Are we not looking at a pretty interesting Hart Trophy race with what Austin Matthews is doing, what Nikita mm-hmm. Kucherov is doing, what Connor McDavid has done and could still do down the stretch, and also another guy that the Canucks will be facing tonight in Nathan McKinnon, who is having an incredible season. Every home game the Avs have played this season, he has a point. Yeah, and so our last one was the beginning of February. So, you know, that was right in the thick of, of McKinnon's point streak and, and the Avs really moving up the standing. So he topped that ranking. And then Kucherov was there. And I think, man, I can't remember who the other one was, but, you know, it, it was those two. Maybe it was Pasternak was there too. Um, but I expect Matthews to make a real move in, 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 the, uh, in the voting by the time we do this thing again at the beginning of March. Um, you know, if you're going to have the goal total he's going to have and, you know, be credited with, like we just talked about, the Leafs' success this year, I mean, he's going to be right in the conversation. Obviously, Connor rallying that team from where they were to where they are now is going to be, you know, huge. Um, it's a lot of forwards, though, and I don't know if he's going to get there based on their recent play, but I did think that there was a lane for Connor Hellebuck to maybe try to make a heart run based on all the forwards that were going to siphon votes from each other. But I think the challenge there is that um, Winnipeg's not necessarily been as good lately. And the other challenge is that it's Winnipeg. And like try, trying to squeeze an award winner out of Winnipeg is a, is a, tough, is a tough gig. Do you, um, so, I, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, McKinnon, Matthews, Kucherov, and, uh, and, uh, and McDavid. But I, I do wonder, <laughs> because I am a writer, I know these people, I wonder if the Kucherov All-Star thing is going to impact his heart voting. I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you. If Kucherov loses the heart trophy because of his part- his oh, performance man. in the passing drill right. at, at the All-Star very, game. Very, writers can be very, very petty and very, very, you know, like big-brained on this stuff. And, I, I you know, I'm not saying it's going to cost him the heart trophy, but I'm mm. saying that if it's a, 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 a dead heat between Kucherov and another guy, I – I wouldn't be surprised if any of my drinking buddies were like, well, that guy dogged at the All-Star game. And then, like, he ends up in second place in the ballot. I mean, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Do you think the Abs are going to do anything before the trade deadline? They look a little top-heavy at the moment. Um, I don't know what the future holds for Valerie <clears throat> Nichushkin. Um, I still don't think that they're going to be super happy with having Ross Colton as their second-line center, uh, unless I'm missing something about Ross Colton. Um do you think they do anything before the trade deadline? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and I think what's going to be really interesting is if they do something for somebody with term, and as part of that, they're able to offload Ryan Johansson's contract. That's the real intrigue for me. I, I think if they were to go and make the kind of move that I think they want to make, which is a real impactful move to get a second-line center behind McKinnon, you know, something that they've lacked since Kadri left, the only way they're going to be able to swing it is to take that Johansson money off their books. So, Cause I think he's there for another year beyond this one. So mm-hmm. um, if, if they're able to do that, and, and obviously you're, you're looking at a, a subset of teams that are unsuccessful, that will take on money and, and that, that have the kind of player that you want, um, then it'll, it'll I, I mean, they're, that's the need. And, and so when you think about like an Adam Henrique, for example, or players of that ilk, I mean, he's obviously a UFA, so it's a different kind of situation, but, you know, if you find find a center with term and you can flip Johansson in the deal, then I think that might be something they look at. But they need to address it. I mean, it's they're too good. 
to have that sort of inefficiency. And I know the Lannis Cog thing is maybe a, a bit of a complication as to what they ultimately do, but I think that's a clear organizational re- need right now that they tried to fill with the Johansson trade that didn't work. It's Quinn Hughes versus Kale McCarr tonight as well. How close is the Norris race between those two right now? It's been kind of going back and forth a bit, um, but Quinn has led, I think, in the last two months for the award. Um, I don't know. That, that's an award that really likes new blood now, now and again, and, and it's also an award that sometimes um, it's just somebody's turn <laughs> to win it, for, for lack of a, of a, of a, better, uh, a better definition. And, you know, Quinn still has the lead in points. Um, he is, in fact, even leading in points per game right now, too, which has always been Makar's calling card. So, um, you know, even if I think he slips a little bit in the points per game average race, um, if he still wins the scoring title, I think he'll probably win the, the Norris this year. It just seems like he's got the momentum. And, and like, you know, we all know Makar is going to get his four or five more of these <laughs> before <laughs> his career is over. And, and and if you have a chance to reward someone else, I think the voters might might go ahead and do that. Um, which potential first round playoff matchup that you can see right now would you be most into? Um, the Leafs and Bruins. Uh, I don't know if that's still got the same cachet as it once did. Although I'd like to oh, watch it. Oh, I think it does. You do, yeah. <laughs> and, or you oh, know, God, yeah. Vegas Oilers is definitely um, a potential first round matchup. Uh, is there any? Are there any others that that you're thinking about? Well, we could be. We 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 may have a chance if the math checks out at the end to have. Florida Tampa in the first round, which would be a real party. Uh, I think that's that's low key, maybe the best rivalry in the in the league right now, as far as the animosity between those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one I kind of have my eyes on. The one that I would love to see again, if the math works out, and right now it doesn't, but but who knows what happens in the next few weeks? Like I, it may be torturous for Vancouver fans, but from a pure like let's see what you got standpoint. The Kings and the Canucks in the first round would be fascinating. Like, I was talking to some people at the stadium series about Vancouver, and there's a notion of, look, they're incredible. There's no doubt the goal differential, the, the play of their top players, like, it's all there. Like, they, they could potentially win the Cup this year. Or they're the Devils of last year, and the Devils of last year were a dominant team in the regular season, looked like an absolute steamroller. And then, you know, when push came to shove, went up against a team in Carolina that they couldn't quite figure out how to get around as far as scoring that one goal they needed. And that's happened to a few teams that mm-hmm. played Carolina. So the question around Vancouver is like when when you get into the into the playoffs, will the ultimate inexperience in some places in this lineup fail the test? And like there's no better team in the West to test yourself against than the LA Kings given their experience, given how many veterans they've got that have been, not only won cups, but have got on long runs. Like it, it'd be a real fascinating matchup and, and maybe the thing that could launch Vancouver if they were able to get past them. Wish. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's going to be a busy uh, next few months. It's always busy in your life though. So you're used to it. Enjoy chatting it's with true. you today. Yeah. I get, I get six weeks from the end of July to the middle of August. And then I go in, into a cocoon, and then I emerge as a beautiful, a beautiful butterfly for the for training camp in September. A beautiful, tired butterfly. See you, buddy. Thanks, Wish.
Thanks, Wesh. That is Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. And uh, I just want to say on the, you asked him about the Leafs, right? And he, and I, I appreciate that Wish was kind of rolling his eyes at the whole notion because I do find it so funny, the Leafs using this as a rallying cry. Because, of course, the, the big line of criticism about the Leafs has always been that they can't win games in February and get hot in the regular season. So they're really sticking it to us <laughs> by show, by doing this. It's like, we've always said, I, I just don't think they can win games in the regular season. So they've really proved us wrong with this uh, rallying around Morgan Riley. I knew they were going to use this, like, it's, us against oh, the world mentality. It's so and, painful. Yeah. It's so painful. Yeah. It's like, what are you, like, what are you... Morgan Riley faced mild consequences for his actions. Yeah. And you're using, you're turning him into a martyr because you beat the Ducks. You ran up the score on the Ducks. Oh, we're really coming together as Here, a team. Here's a quote from uh, Willie, Willie Nylander. Um, uh, we've answered the bell. <laughs> and and I think Mo kind of lit the fire in the team. Yeah, we're battling for Mo, who... Uh, it's it's making it sound like it's like is he in the Morgan, hospital? Yeah, Morgan Riley is currently fighting for his life yeah. and not just enjoying some time in the press box. Um, We've answered the bell. Oh my goodness! Um, can someone help me out with the pronunciation of our next guest because he is the Colorado Avalanche? Um, does he he hosts the Avs post game show? Adog, um, do you have the pronunciation of his name down? Alex Rajaniemi. Rajaniemi. I believe it's just Rajan. I will in the break. <laughs> <laughs> You've been quiet am, for most of the show, and a, then I call on you once. I am a to, consummate professional to pronounce the name of our next guest, and you're like, uh, I "Let will, me get back to you." Uh, well, I've never actually spoken to him just via text, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, I I will ask him. But I've got some I got some questions about this Avs team. Um, first of all the season that Nathan McKinnon is having. He is having an unbelievable season. Again, he, he has a point streak at home where the abs are very, very good. I think their home record is 21-5-0. Not bad. Which is the best record in the NHL. Um, and a lot of teams have trouble going to Denver just because of the altitude. And, um, you know, the Canucks are already – some people might look at this game and be like, that's a scheduled loss. Well, they better not show up for it like that. Yep. Because uh, they've now lost two in a row. Oh, my goodness. And so they are in jeopardy. I don't want to freak out here. I don't want to freak out here. But they are in jeopardy of losing three straight for the first time all season. Stunning. Oh, dear God. I had a funny – uh, it. it. was either a text or a reply on social media yesterday – and it was like, what does it come to in Vancouver? We used to be able to handle three-game losing streaks easily. We yeah, were just we could, like, no problem. We can handle. No problem. Now we're freaking out if we if we lose two in a row on the possibility of three. I actually do want to see if the Canucks can go the entire season without oh, a three-game losing streak. That would be incredible. It used to be a thing to celebrate if they stopped at three. You're like, wow, did they ended a three-game losing wow, streak yeah, with a win. They, wow, this they, is fantastic. It, they cut that off before it got bad. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah, I mean, l- listen, I think you do have to credit the Canucks. Um, they haven't let things fester. And this is the most adversity that they've endured this season, even though it's like an eight-game stretch where they're, what, 4-3-1? and one? 
This is the most yeah, adversity. It's really tough times for them. It's yeah. tough times. But they do have some injuries. They, yeah. they, they're clearly missing Dakota Joshua. Um, I will be curious after you totally jinxed Connor Garland yesterday mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see how he's feeling this morning because he blocked a shot. He left the game. He came back, but he didn't look quite right. And it's funny because you were like, you know, I, I don't know if putting our Steve Baines into the lineup is – it's like the right mix on on the fourth line, and then you were like, maybe if Connor yeah, Garland like, well, got hurt, hypothetically, hypothetically, if Connor Garland, if Garland got hurt, I was then, like, oh no, what then have I maybe done? Baines could replace him. So um, I doubt the Canucks are going to skate this morning because they just played yesterday. Um, so I don't know what, when we're going to find out the potential lineup. It might be it is likely to be just closer to the game unless Rick Tockett says something. Uh, in his media avail before the game. Uh, but I guess stay tuned for that. We'll have, I believe, Alex Raja Niemi from 92.5 Altitude Sports in Denver. Uh, Alex is in charge of the ABS post game. So we'll talk to him about the Canucks opponent tonight. And you're listening currently to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.